1: Hello out there, pandemic landscape disaster divas. This is Jordan Cruciola, uh, surviving these days with me, Amanda Smith. Separate but together. Yes, we are. We are isolated. We are hashtag alone <laughs> together. We are being our best. Best also, and we are coming to you now via uh, Skype capacities to take our minds off of contagion matters of disaster and pivot yeah. it sharply into the relieving embrace of nuclear war and yeah, it was way less stressful ultimately <laughs> yeah it turn, turns out maybe uh depending on your depending on your assessment out there world uh this week we are watching the american classic i'm pretty sure it is part of the criterion collection 1964 Failsafe, uh, starring a, a, a great many people, but the ones you'll know and love best would be President Walter Mathau and Warhawk Professor Political Scientist. Oh, President Henry Fonda and yeah. Warhawk Political Scientist, Walter Mathau.
0: And Larry Hagman. What, know- roles he, what roles does he play? He's um, Buck. He's Buck. Okay, and he's So he's translator. a translator. Yes, Russian translator. Yeah, and then and then later on he becomes um the guy who owns a genie in a weird sort of like masochistic sadistic relationship.
1: <laughs> wait, that's him. Larry Hagman. Yeah. Wow, I did he's, not realize Larry Hagman so, wait, is is that- is, the,
0: is the is the husband on I Dream of Genie.
1: He's, wow. the, he's the commander. <laughs> Well, uh, t- uh, con- considerably more serious fare with fail safe, which imagines a imagines a scenario in which during the Cold War, um, our uh, defense system picks up a threat in the form of an unidentified object flying over American airspace, and so our fighter jets on standby are about ready to resort to their fail-safe positions, which would set them at sort of the perimeter of the Soviet Union, you know, sort of in place to be ready to attack should the next level of readiness, like, I guess, be put into effect. Well, the issue is resolved. The object is identified. But technology being what it is and having taken over our our systems of defense, uh, a technological matter goes haywire one squadron of fighter jets, Group Six, is not able to be stood down, which means they are on on a course to bomb Moscow. And yep. the movie is the bureaucratic government, uh, bureaucratic military, and civilian tension all happening at the same time to decide what do we do if, like, how do we get these planes out of the air, and if we cannot get these planes out of the air, and we accidentally bomb Moscow. What what do we do? What are all these contingencies, and we have to consider them all in the next like hour because turns the world out, change. Turns out they don't have a lot of them.
0: There was I was shocked like going right into some of the reality of it. Jordan, do you remember how often they said this happens in the time in a month?
1: They said them? yeah, like there's a half a dozen times a month that they are. Yes. It's a, the fail safe pro- protocol is initiated to take them to readiness level yellow, which then yeah. goes to green, which would then go to red. But yeah, like half a dozen scares a month, basically. Six scares a month,
0: and then they reach the failsafe one time in twenty. So basically, every three months, right? The planes go to freight failsafe, and like no one has thought of what happens if if we can't reach the plane, and then the plane bombs. Mo- there was no contingency plan of how, what happens if we accidentally bomb Moscow. <laughs> um, right, <laughs> which which fully believed, but also was just like watching this entire movie. I was like, nobody thought what would happen if this goes wrong. It
1: happens six times a month. Right. And it like, it's interesting because I feel like this movie takes place a, a theme that is hammered this entire movie. From the hawks and the doves is the matter of technology and how much our technology has become a part of our everyday working systems. And the doves taking, well, more like the doves taking the position of things are moving too fast. Things are out of control. Our mm-hmm. computers, our, our systems are now, now acting quickly enough to where man cannot intervene, which means a fatal mistake could happen before man could stop it, which is true in which we see in yeah. this movie. And the technology of the era seems to be at that exact wrong time where it's like oh my god we're fancy we're advanced we're past the like we're in the atomic age it's the 60s but we don't actually have the modeling capability and the simulations to predict every possible outcome yeah so we're like we we know too much to we know too much to can to protect our we know enough to protect ourselves we know too much for it's this weird middle ground we know too much to sort of be safe in this kind of situation.
0: Yeah, yeah they say at one point, like when they're, uh, when there's a senator who's touring, so we get to see like early on in the movie, we get to see sort of the headquarters in, is it Omaha? I think it's yeah. Omaha, Nebraska. And we see the headquarters and the senator is touring it to like learn about the state of the art kind of machinery they have for this fail-safe mechanism. And when he finds out that it's all run by a uh, machine and he asks, you know, where's the end of the line? Who's got the responsibility? And someone says the only thing that anyone can agree on is that no one is responsible, which Which is that I was like, wow, that that
1: that line is so rings so true, particularly in light of the last couple weeks. Yeah, oh my god, no, I could not get out of my head the entire time. Holy shit, what if this very this specific president at the fucking like our president Donald Trump is at the wheel. In this theoretical situation where he is on the phone having to be the head of state telling an adversarial foreign government information that is both accurate and genuine and, like, credible in the moment. And I was like, oh my god, I would rather have literally actual Henry Fonda reanimated from the fucking dead, leading the United States of America compared to what we've seen in the actual crisis mode yeah. of the president handling our current pandemic. Yeah, Holy it's truly it's it
0: truly shocking to to see the compare contrast of that situation and like, oh, that's how that goes.
1: Oof. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> Literally yeah. the president just said like, I don't take responsibility. Yeah. Wow.
0: I I I'm almost like as I like I watched it before I watched it shortly after we recorded our episode for uh, Children of Men. So I think oh. I watched it like two weeks ago before okay. kind of everything started filtering over here, right. um, pandemic-wise. And I was like, well, this is <laughs> this is scary, but like intense, but like, it, it's almost, it's not too much. And now as I'm sitting here reflecting on it, I'm like, oh God, <laughs> from what I've seen <laughs> of crisis management here. <laughs>
1: you know, He's no Tommy Lee Jones when it comes to crisis management.
0: no God if only I did I did um to, to sidetrack for a second when like Gavin I was watching Gavin Newsom on the news earlier as he announced like the, the um safety at home measures for the state yeah. and I was like
2: we should um, uh we should let people know that we are recording this on Thursday the 19th oh, just yeah. for however this might develop and you know like yeah. who knows what might it's have a happened. Good very
1: good point holding up yeah, the newspaper so, it is thursday march 19th at 8:30 p.m. yeah so jordan jason
0: and i are in three separate locations because um we all live in california and california now has a um like a shelter in place rule basically that's uh you're not supposed to really leave your house unless you have to for essential reasons um and so we are all in our separate locations which is why we all sound like we're in tin cans cuz <laughs> yeah. i'm i'm podcasting from a hoodie with cat ears to help True. keep the sound in from my my airpods. Jordan <laughs> I can see I can see is located in her
1: house and then Jason is is in a white box. <laughs> Jason is in an undisclosed secured location. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. I'm, in, I'm in a white box so, uh, um, that's that's uh, very safe and uh, protected from all of the uh, germs in the world.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so so that's where we are and uh yeah, it's what a what a weird time, guys. I think I think a, a pivotal part of the reality indexing of this episode inevitably falls to the parallel with our current situation, and I feel like that's kind of because cal- like to think of to think of how I would have thought of this movie in terms of reality indexing. Mm-hmm. The last presidential administration is different from how I would think about it now, because like the character played by Walter Matthau is so fucking awful in this movie. Oh if, God! If you are if you are a war hawk, I think you would think he's great. Um, I'm not, but he, his entire approach to nuclear war is he's pretty into it because yeah. it's better to eliminate the communist threat with a first strike and take them all out, even on the orders of tens of millions of people. Because as he says, like the point of a war is there is a winner and a loser, and he doesn't necessarily consider the Russians to be people. He considers them to be emotionless uh, basically, like machines that yeah. are ira- that are hyper rational and sort of take no feeling into account. So why should we take feeling into account into dealing with them? And what is oh, what does he say? The point. This is the point of war. The point of war is who wins and who loses. The survival of a culture. Sort of a dot dot dot. Who would rather? Who would rather have? Um. He is somebody quote who would rather have an American culture survive than a Russian one. And he is basically the zero-sum politics of the Trump administration. He's Stephen Miller and he exists in this movie as like the little devil on the president's shoulder telling him at every turn like we have to strike now. Now is our chance. This was an accident, but we can capitalize. It's a first strike. The Soviets will not retaliate. They know they don't have the firepower. If we can lay them down now, they will never get back up again and fortunately he's the outlier in this situation but that exact extreme voice is like the most influential person in the current presidential administration and i was like oh my god he the whole time that he was talking i was like oh he's a twitter thread that's just who
0: he is he (laughs) is one of those like his whole line of reasoning through everything is all this deeply hypothetical like Everything yeah. that he's talking about, he's a professor. He's not a military guy in any way, shape, or form. He's been brought in by the military to like give a lecture and then do play some war games, sort of situation. Like hey, it, and um, and he the whole time, everything he's pontificating on is just theory, and yeah. it's just like, and it, and all I could imagine was like one of the Seth Abramson like, let's talk about some game theory. Yeah, 147 tweets. Yeah. yeah, and like every time he was talking, I was just like. Three out of nineteen hundred. I'm like, right. This is this is just one more thing in his tweets. I not so much Stephen Miller. He gave me a very Steve Bannon vibe of a guy who like has been exercising theorem for so long, and now he gets a chance to see it in practice. Yeah. Um, and it was, but yeah, it was. He absolutely is just like he had all the vibes of. Someone who would write lengthy Twitter threads and have like an entire online persona without actually having any practical experience.
1: Yeah, a um, keyboard claiming warrior to be with an
0: 100%. Yeah. Um, and I mean, just like a genuinely, like a charismatically terrible person, but somehow not as bad as the woman he meets at the beginning.
1: <laughs> so when, man, we first we, wild.
0: when we first meet Walter Matthau it's like 4 a, or 5 a.m sun has risen at the White yeah, House and he's p- been holding yeah and he's been holding court with like all these DC dilettantes for hours just pontificating on all the different things about war I guess yeah. and they've just been all having such a great time that no one is like man I'm sleepy and sick of hearing about death <laughs> yeah. And he's been talking about the importance of basically loss mitigation, about the idea that like there's ways to wage a nuclear war with targeted strikes, so that then you don't have as many fatalities, and that like the idea being that six, limited war, yeah, that like sixty million deaths is not as bad as six hundred million deaths, so aim for the sixty million because the deaths are inevitable, and he drives home this like woman who's single or well married
1: puts him puts herself in his convertible so when he yeah. walks out to his car she's got there before him and just poured herself into the passenger seat looking yeah. like she's been consuming a steady diet of pills and champagne all night long all night long oh yeah and she's just super and he drives her home and
0: she just is very clearly deeply aroused by all the death <laughs> talk yes to the point where She kisses him after, like, and comments on how sexy the death talk is. And then he slaps her.
1: Well, and, but, like, it's not just, like, it's not just, like, death. It's, like, very nihilistic foreplay about turning death into entertainment and spectacle. And she's, like, laying this on him very thick. And he counters her basically being, like, you're not for real. You're just turned on by somebody who has the strength to do what you want to do. And you can't, you fake bitch. And then shuts her down where it's like, oh, your problem with this woman is not that she's hitting on you talking about like mass casualties. Your problem is that she's not for real enough. She's not like hardcore enough for you. See, I took it differently where I didn't think he was like, oh, you you're not hardcore
0: enough. I took it as like because you've never actually had to worry about it. It's not. You know, you're.
1: This is some all a game for you versus I, who take it very seriously. Right, but he admits it's all a game for him too. He's like, that's true. He's, yeah, he, like for him, this is a form of game because he's not been. It's yeah. interesting how they have in this context in in the movie. It's it's very interesting how the generals. I mean, it makes sense in the pragmatic sense. They are the people who have seen war. We are yeah. not too far after World War II. These are probably a lot of men who were involved in like the Great Axis powers and, like, bringing, you know, liberating the camps in Europe and what have you. So he is very much this academic who has been away from the theater of war. He is very much the antagonistic, villainous figure. And none of the, almost none of the war-fighting generals want to escalate to combat as much as he does, with the exception of that one guy who is super like unstable and loses it in, in the Omaha control room at one point there's a, at one point the, because the American and Soviet forces have had to agree to work together to bring down. I mean, it's an incredibly stressful situation the entire time you're watching it. Everyone's just in a shitty situation. Once this kicks into high gear and the group six American planes are going to go bomb Moscow, they are under strict orders, which makes sense for the time to not receive their, their communication is jammed, A, and they're under orders to not answer to any vocal commands because their airways could be hacked, essentially, and they could get false orders from the other side to stand down. The president's- yeah, Someone could imitated. impersonate the president. Yeah. Exactly. So you have in one room, the American president talking to the Soviet premier in the war room of basically the Joint Chiefs of Staff and the asshole academic, you have them advising the president. Then in the like Omaha CENTCOM base itself, you have the military men who are having to provide deep, crucial intelligence about the operations of our forces and the way our planes work. Eventually, to their Soviet counterparts, explaining how to shoot down our military aircraft, which yeah. is a pretty fucking big information handover in the middle of the Cold War. You're just watching this, being like, "Oh my god!" Everybody in this situation. This is bad. This is bad for everyone. Nobody. Yeah. N- like I empathize with absolutely everybody besides Walter Mathau.
0: Yeah. And that's why casting Walter Mathau was such a great choice because it's just like you're going to like him inherently because there's something just so likable about his hangdog face and his arrogance, but then also uh. the whole time you're just like it, and that's the only thing that keeps you from every time he's on the screen not like actively booing him <laughs> because he's <laughs> such a monster. Um and then well, it, and you know, I, Sorry, and it, it, which which I thought like what was surprising was that the military guys almost universally there wasn't a single military guy who was playing the you know kind of crazy like I have what are you talking about we can't which I to be honest I'm not hundred percent sure I bought from our military, uh huh, um, but also like fine it works in this movie because it's so clearly kind of allegorical, but there I definitely I mean just knowing our military as it is, like when you look at John, say John Bolton, who has been trying to have a war with Iran for God knows what, 15 years now, (laughs) like they don't, they don't look at an opportunity. Like I kept on, I was, I was waiting for the reveal that this was not a malfunction, that this was a general making the
1: choice to like, that would have been been the movie. That would have been the movie that gets made right now. Like right, in twenty twenty, exactly. that's the movie that gets made. In right, the but middle in, of in, like the... in nineteen
0: sixty four when computer technology is still coming out like this and is sort of this big anomaly like unknown, then yeah, oh. it's the computer malfunctioning. But it was well, definitely I and, was just
1: like And the the era of paranoia. Like the era right. of paranoia around mutually assured destruction. Because yeah. the there's the the element of the technology and then the second like the movie come you know, culminates in this incredible sort of exchange between President Henry Fonda and the Mm -hmm. Russian premier on the other side of the phone on the giant 1960s single-use call-the-Soviet-Union steel phone. It's like the size of a fire hydrant. There's this, because, you know, I feel like we can give the ultimate resolution away at this point, which is that when it becomes clear that American air power is too good, basically, for the Soviets to bring down, we're sending in six planes and basically inevitably one of them is going to get through, which means two 20 kiloton nuclear bombs are about to be dropped on the Russian capital. The president's bargain in that matter is because the alternative is the Soviets launching a full scale nuclear strike at the United States in retaliation. President Henry Fonda makes the deal, okay, if if this happens, if worst case happens and we bomb Moscow on accident, I will intentionally order one of our bomber planes to drop, a, drop two of the equal-sized equal nukes over New York City. He offers to sacrifice New York City to mitigate a full-scale, world-ending nuclear exchange. And then he has this great speech at the end, the, the premiere where he talks about, like because the premier's like, this was no one's fault, this was an accident, and he's like, no, it was both our faults. We yeah. created the situation. It is both of our paranoia that prompted us to turn over so much of our decision-making capacity to a war machine that got bigger and bigger and bigger and more technologically too savvy and out of our hands. It essentially kind of became low-key 1.0 Skynet. Yeah. And our paranoia and our lack of ability to communicate and trust with one another put us in the inevitable situation where the worst thing that could happen did happen. And it technically wasn't anybody's fault, but we are not machines, we are humans. And it took a situation where, it, it took a movie where it boiled people down and it made them, it seemed like, into archetypes. Because like you said, it's yeah. an allegory. But we have characters, it seems like, in this current political moment in this country that are as extreme as the people we saw in this movie. Like, yeah, the movie was an effective allegory in 64, and it felt like watching something literally happen with the stark black and white contrast of some of these actors in 2020. Yeah, it was definitely, and that's what what is
0: really amazing about this movie is that it does feel just as deeply, it does not feel the way that some of these movies do. You can be like, oh, okay, this is kind of, I need some context for this. This feels a little dated. I need, I probably would have appreciated this more if I'd seen it when it came out. No, there's none of that. You just 100% the whole time are like, yep, I, I follow everything that's happening here and I don't like any of it not because yeah, like not enjoying know, any of this
1: i know that i saw this movie for the first time during the obama administration yeah. and i really i was so amazed at it from a filmmaking standpoint it's like oh this sydney lumet film is so amazing and it's beautifully shot and everybody's doing such a good job and it was so intense and, and every minute and it felt mm-hmm. so surprising and in how intense it was but watching it this time it felt like watching it for the first time in a certain way because truly the change in context was like Oh my god, this means something totally different to me now. Yeah, so like, it, like the existential reality indexing of this movie is horrifying. It's
0: it really is, it's it's truly something else. Um, in terms of so the city that they that he picks to bomb at the end, that he picks New York, yes. One, I was like, oh god, that's not the solution. I don't know how that's the solution, Henry Fonda. I don't think that's a good plan at all. Um, but two, I the UN is there. <laughs> I feel like this is a really good way to piss off a lot of other countries right then. That's it a was, fair point. Like, I'm not, this isn't even like a, and I didn't believe it. I was mostly just like, oh, that's what the UN is. Are you sure you want to go and bomb
2: that? <laughs> like,
0: there's a I, lot it, of other, like I'm always, I'm not a fan of Chicago. So my stance is always, if we got to get rid of a city, why not Chicago? I, I feel I, like,
1: I, the only commensurate answer to Moscow though. Is is, is New DC. York. No, it's no. DC. No, it's not. Not for population. Not for population not for population, like, but in terms of like And they're not gets... gonna wipe out the government infrastructure for who we main who we have after the fact. Like they're because they're they're not gonna take out the seat of power from which we're going to continue to govern. They're gonna take out the financial center, but they're not gonna take out like the symbol of American as representative republic. Yeah, I just I feel like again, which is why I would say Chicago. <laughs> I in in no in that being your worth of Chicago, would you then consider how could you consider it commensurate with the worth of like the crown jewel city of all of Russia if to you Chicago is a discard city? And I well I how mean, could you expect the Soviets not to feel the same, Amanda? Well, I think
0: that if you say to the Soviets, like, look, we can't bomb new york because the un is there and you and i are both gonna have a really big problem if i take out new york to make you feel better because like sweden's gonna be pissed that they're that the un is gone <laughs> i just i i i just there was there was a moment of pause where i was like there has to be another city you can pick other than new york um
1: i just don't think there is one that's an equal sacrifice because la wouldn't know. get la is no. an ornament by comparison yeah. It wouldn't be an it wouldn't be a West Coast City. It wouldn't be a midway. It has to be on the East Coast. The answers yeah. are New York, or DC. And but as far as man, commensurate like, population sacrifice, yeah. New York to Moscow. Yeah.
0: Oh yeah. That that makes sense. But I, I did definitely I kinda of paused. I was like, that just seems like a really a really good way to piss off a lot of like the European continent's gonna be pissed because you've got all the fallout that gets picked up in the trade winds and goes right over. Like I was like, Man, that's Henry Fonda, not a good not a good plan. But also, God, that last scene is so gutting that it doesn't matter. It's so good.
1: (laughs) Yeah, no, he has two people on the phone with him in the moments of their demise narrating that they're about to be detonated in nuclear explosions.
0: Yeah, it's just, I mean, they have, he has the, he has the, um, what's it called? Uh, Ambassador to Moscow standing on the roof. And he tells the, the premier of Russia, he's like, so, or the USSR, I'm going to hear the phone make a very high pitched sound when the phone melts. And that will be when I know that Moscow is destroyed. And then I'll tell the our guys to drop
1: the bombs on New York. Well, he also hear- sends these two diplomats to the roo- roofs of yeah. these buildings in these cities and narrates to them the way that they're going to die yeah. while they're yeah. on the phone with the premier of the Soviet Union. And they are just stoically listening to how they are going to be vaporized by nukes. Yeah. Probably in the next few minutes. It is everyone's stiff upper lip set. Yeah, everybody, everybody in this movie has a stiff upper lip. It is a very stoic. Yeah, no, it is it it, like and the fact that the the weights the place that it goes to first for Henry Fonda like obviously not like the first thing he wanted to do, but like he doesn't have to be persuaded. He like has private decision making time, and he's like, I'm gonna give him New York. If nobody's like, Mr. President, it's what you have to do. He's just like. I am the man. I am accountable here. The buck stops at me. And it's like, wow, wouldn't that be refreshing in a leader mm-hmm. to have that to, to have accountability? Uh, it, I, I I mean I wouldn't mind. I wouldn't mind a
0: president who makes decisions with groups of people. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that would be <laughs> Again, it, it might, might have, have been nice if Henry if Fonda. Yeah, it would have been nice if Henry Fonda had say like a council of, you know, suitable advisors.
1: um who could make informed decisions not walter Matthau, obviously now here was a question i had about walter Matthau's character knowing nothing about how military stuff actually works yeah would this person who has been allowed to come into this very sort of classified area and and give these kinds of briefings would he be kept in the room the entire fucking time this is happening i have no idea high level eyes on black box security clearance moment and he's a professor and a private citizen i was like I, i know we need a foil here but this seems pretty fucking preposterous i don't i don't know i don't know
0: anything i don't know enough about like military logistics he was clearly invited into like this situation room to begin with to discuss it yeah and then I I don't know. I, I guess, I, I guess I kind of like that. Like they are like, we need somebody who has this base of knowledge. So good for them. But yeah, I don't, (laughs) I don't know. I don't, I I would be inclined to say no, but I don't know enough about the military to know for sure. It's all sort of this amorphous. Like I know about it as much as much of the military as anything from like Michael Bay movies. Like I don't
1: basically, I I
0: I don't think that counts. I, I mean, like would Rihanna a- be allowed in that situation? Because he'd let Rihanna
1: in there too. So I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I would currently let Rihanna into the Situation Room before I would let in any of like the current cabinet. That's true. Like the current cabinet, I would pick Rihanna. I'd pick an army of fucking pop stars <laughs> over the current cabinet.
0: Okay, true. And if you, so- if, you
1: if you hear me, uh, hear me coughing, by the way, um, listeners, friends. Uh, and my congestion, and my obviously weakened voice. Uh, I don't think I have the coronavirus. I think I have a head cold. But as America is currently lacking for testing supplies, I have no way of knowing that, which means I have taken my self-isolation very seriously for the past week. I just want you all to know that I am taking care to not be somebody else's vector. So rest assured that me and Evangeline Lilly are taking a different approach to this pandemic.
0: If you had asked me, what celebrity do I think you're going to most resemble in a pandemic? I would have said definitely not Evangeline Lilly. And I'm glad <laughs>
1: to be proven right on that point. Yeah. <laughs> turns like out, um, it turns out she's a libertarian. I don't know. Maybe. I... <sighs> yeah, she she announced today on Instagram that uh, she, can't gymna- she can't be contained. She can't be contained. Kids are going to gymnastics camp. Hashtag business as usual. And, you know, some people choose freedom, as she said. And, you know, basically other people play by the rules. So that's not the route I'm going. I'm considering the herd because I think we're all in this together. Ironic to use that phrase, given that Vanessa Hudgens does not believe we're all in this together. (laughs) (laughs) You guys, I feel like we should just, because this is our life right now, it does need to be addressed that, please, if you have any even moderate level of interest of celebrities on social media. Now is the time to be moderating, to be monitoring them because contagion confinement is driving some people stir crazy. It's kind of amazing to see what
0: happens when like an entire industry of narcissists suddenly can't get attention. (laughs) How off the chain they're going. Like, I feel like we need to do sort of quarantine walks for them with paparazzi space six feet apart. So that certain celebrities can at least, like, get their paparazzi coffee bean walk that they need in order to survive. I just didn't know that that's what powered so many of these celebrities.
2: It's it's, being
0: photographed by paparazzi.
2: It's been insane to see how many more Instagram live stories there are from famous people right now.
1: yeah. 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 Sadly, uh, you know, she's being conscientious, but Florence Pugh, uh, who is such a delight. Uh, on social media is not currently baking on live because she feels bad using copious resources, which is good of her. I bet she's not reasonable. one of the dicks who are going out there and taking too much toilet paper at the grocery store. If that's you, screw you. I'm telling you to stop it right now.
2: It's uh, literally but, no matter where you go, they are sold out of of those types of essentials. Like, it, it, absolutely insane, apocalyptic the way that people grubbed up toilet paper because someone mentioned that maybe they people should stock up a little bit.
1: Yeah, America. Uh, actually, you know, guys, when we post this, if you if you listen to us, I would love to hear if uh, what your grocery store situation is like if you're not located in like the L. I, I would love to know in these disaster times. Uh, hit us up and let us know what your store resources are like. Cause I'm curious to know what people are doing in various locations.
0: Yeah. The Gelson's by me was selling individual rolls of Scott toilet paper, which I'm 90% sure was from their employee bathrooms. Oh, when, is, when I texted you, I, when I texted you the other day and I was like, do you guys want toilet paper? They're selling individual rolls at Gelson's that was limited to each. And I was like, this is definitely industrial supplies that they yeah. are now pulling from their bathrooms because they Need to have product to sell customers, and those individual roles were gone within hours. I got oh weird. yeah,
2: the- I got or- weirdly lucky with uh, preparedness. I I like three weeks ago bought like a big pack of toilet paper and like a month ago I had like a big like multi-pack of hand san or like of sanitizing wipes so like I I did not wow. even have to wow. worry about getting either of those things and it was not at all like a preparedness thing it was just randomly I got more than what I uh normally would get of toilet paper and sanitizing wipes
1: the f-
0: the I can't alive. believe this makes two episodes in a week, in a row, that we'll have talked about toilet paper.
1: I mean, it's a really big part of our lives right now. It's yeah, a huge But what's so weird is that last time when we were recording, it wasn't. We were just You're talking right. about toilet paper
0: for the purpose of, like, just we're talking bears. about bears and Charmin Bears. Yeah. Charmin Bears. And it was so weird to listen to that episode again this week and be like, "Wow, Jason was right. We all needed bidets." We all needed bidets.
2: <laughs> I'm just saying. We
0: all should have gotten bidets when Jason said so. <laughs> real, real bad choice on our, on my part for mocking you, Jason, with I'm your not, bidet arc.
2: I'm not saying we shouldn't elect me for president.
0: <laughs> I mean, I'd rather have you in the room than Stephen Miller. I'd rather have you in the room than pretty much any of them. And Just... if we're gonna have like someone who's got very, very, very light colored hair <laughs> I'd rather it be you, Jason.
2: Well I, I very much appreciate now, that. I... Just understand that I will run on a bidet only campaign. That's the only that's my <laughs> yeah. only talking point.
1: I, I mean I think the people would be with you now. Yeah. Um <laughs> I will I will <laughs> I will pull us kicking and screaming back into fail safe where oh, fine. I, I feel like I feel like I don't know. I, I feel like children, like Children of Men, and this felt like very good, such like accidentally timely movies. Uh, even though it can often feel like this, uh, this administration is in a rolling state of disaster. Those two acutely, uh, with like you have the particularly with Children of Men, the way that the refugees are framed as sort of like the ultimate evil and they end up being ultimate salvation, you know, like the hope for ultimate salvation. And in this movie, the way you have the math character advocating for this ultimate sort of isolationist perspective in which the only people who are human beings on any side of the equation are the United States and in our interests, And it is, and like framing it truly in, in terms of a culture war, I was like, wow, Fuck, I guess, like, we're more in a Cold War mentality right now than I had sort of taken the time to specifically consider. Yeah. Yeah, you're not wrong. I mean, it's...
0: I, what is weird about the two movies is that one's about the failure of government, when after gov- like, about, of after government's abandoned you.
1: Yeah, yeah, and yeah. One
0: is the failure of government being present. But you're right, we are... I mean, the gov- our current government loves nothing more than a Cold War because it gives them an external enemy to fight.
1: Right, without um, actually having to, to without fight. actually having to fight yeah. and engage. Yeah.
0: So no, I I do think that that's a really good point that we are kind of in this this cold war almost. Um,
1: it, and and like, imagine that it will continue. Yeah. As the no, president continues
0: to try to like make the virus attributed to a country rather
1: than you know
0: pathogens.
1: Right. It feels like this cold war of us versus like the administration in a cold war with the rest of the world, but yeah. also a cold war between the two halves of the electorate. Yeah. Like, I feel like we're in a cold war détente uh <laughs> between the well, you know, a little bit more than a half which is the half that popularly voted somebody that wasn't Donald Trump into the presidency uh, in the mm-hmm. 2016 election. Um so yeah, I I feel like maybe I need to start like this movie made me feel like I needed to dive more into cold war films in this time as okay. opposed to like my default to sort of horror and uh big action movies, which are my soothing balm for all occasions. But like, oh wow, I guess I need to get in and like dive deep into that Cold War paranoia cinema right now to really feel like I'm connecting with the historical precedent for our times, except the people in charge are completely fucking stupid.
0: Yeah. Well the other thing that's interesting is that like you know, there's this big issue right now of boomers not taking this seriously. Uh-huh. So looking at the cold so looking at the cold, yeah, as, as, as you might be able to attest, I'm sure. Um, like I, I thank God my parents are falling into the proper demographic of like sufficiently neurotic about this. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I have a lot of friends, parents who are not and no. no, And there's a big conversation happening about like the fact that boomers basically are like, I lived through the cold war We've seen a lot of things where the threat happened. there's the threat, but it never happens.
2: And like, right. you can't
0: live in fear because the thing is, is that the thing that you're afraid of never actually happens. Right. So the thing that you're afraid of will never happen. Uh-huh, so uh-huh. it's kind of an interesting contrast of the the Cold War fears versus now where there's an actual threat and their inability to cope with it. Um, maybe having lived through so much of, like Cold War cinema and things like that yeah. of seeing this hypothetical world of the threat living out it's sort of an interesting kind of conundrum that we're currently
1: presented with, I guess. Well, yeah. And it like this, this movie, this, this movie is so good and it's the final scene of it as far as like, I feel like this gets, the, gets to a reality next question too, because the the final moments of this movie are just very quick snap cuts to life in New York city and people just yeah. living as a bomb is about to be dropped over their head by their own government as a trade for us annihilating Moscow. And, of course, you have, like, everybody had to live their lives in the midst of the Cold War um, because you can't just stop. Like, that would be fucking crazy. Um, But the idea that sort of like, all right, we've gotten used to the fact that nothing's actually going to happen, even if there is a din of fear hanging over everything the entire time... I feel like that has become, like Twitter feels like it has become the hot zone for the staging ground of the Cold War, where everybody's mm. constantly expressing so much anxiety and yeah. so much fear that it's been an interesting transition to see the discourse shift on Twitter, which I'm on a lot for my job. I'm on it all day long. To see it shift because people kind of say reflexively to so many things, like, LOL, we're going to die like, LOL, it's the end times. Well, guess like, we're, you know, shoot us into the sun. This is it. That has been like the default tone of voice since at least President Trump was elected. And so now with people actually being confronted by a non-discriminatory pandemic, and being like, oh, all those times I joked about dying. Well, shit, now I'm actually anxious about dying, because I don't want to die. It's like, well, it's kind of crazy that it became, like, your default way of joking about things for years, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, that you tone
0: it, is... You've, you All those jokes of, like, lol, we're all gonna die, with the exception of when Trump does a press conference, like, all those yeah. kind of casual jokes are gone. It's it, such a weird tonal shift.
1: Yeah, no, it feels different. Yeah. And it's, like, we have, you know, you joking is a way of coping, ob- obviously, but also... It does kind of inoculate you, I think overly so if you are constantly immersed in the swirl of the jokes like can happen on yeah. Twitter where you just you know, see that as kind of like the default tone that crisis takes yeah. um, around you on a daily basis. And then so you suddenly think you've become used to something when actually you haven't because it can always get worse. There's this sentiment of like, well, it, we're always in the worst of it. So and it's like, oh no, we're trapped yeah. in our homes and yeah. there's no toilet paper. And, like, I don't have access to bread, maybe, but also the (laughs) supply lines are holding and grocery stores are still open, so I still definitely have food, but people are defaulting this headspace of, like, oh, no, this is the end. It's like, well, don't get too comfortable saying that because you don't want to be super fucking surprised again when it actually gets worse. (laughs) And that was, I found something so refreshing about watching this movie because of the gravity of it and the severity of it. I appreciated that. I was like, oh, thank God. We're not making jokes about a a, a nuclear holocaust in the movie Failsafe. We're just super fucking serious about the movie Failsafe and the possibility of a nuclear crisis. And I personally found that to be a relief. It's really interesting.
0: Yeah. I I mean, it was nice to have like a concrete thing to fear in it. (laughs) Like the anxiety anxiety from watching it comes from a very specific place versus like when we were watching Children of Men where the anxiety comes from just being in that world. Yeah, and the and the potential of it. It was Which really nice to have very now. Yeah, it was really nice to have that very concrete sort of like, oh no, I can pinpoint why I am anxious and I am anxious because nuclear war could start in this movie. Like that's yeah. what this feeling is. And they aren't going to be able to stop it and every fiber of my being has been told by movies that they can stop it at the end and they're not going to yes. stop it. Yes. Um so yeah, there is it was you're right, that's really it, it is almost a little comforting to have a known monster to be afraid of, even if it's like an amorphous concept. Yeah.
1: And also just like, even if they were fictional, it felt so, felt so comforting watching people who are smart make decisions. Yeah. <laughs> watching a competent fake president felt really nice. I mean, I will always, I'm
0: watching Henry Fonda, who clearly like played this with all the gravity necessary of someone who's playing the president. Like, Oh, that is a man who you can see senses the gravity of his office. Like I imagine him walking in and just putting his hands on the resolute desk every so often yep. and leaning over it yep. and just like grounding himself on the solidness of the wood, <laughs> yeah.
1: you know? Yes. Like, Respecting he,
0: the, he walked into the Oval Office on the first day and like, it was like Martin Sheen in and, and, uh, West Wing where he like looked around and like, oh, kind yeah. of was quietly overwhelmed.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: He's an Aaron Sorkin president. And in a situation like this, you want an Aaron Sorkin president
1: yeah yeah and it like i don't know i just felt like i needed to watch a lot more like morgan freeman as president movies after it was yeah. over it was like oh man i think i need to watch a uh, a leader who knows what the fuck they're doing even spoiler if... alert that's who i fantasy cast for president <laughs> i feel like because i feel like this movie is so it's so like it's so very real and it's so very mm-hmm. uh, but also an, an allegory I feel like we have covered, and I feel like the important parts to touch upon for the purpose yeah. of what we do here for the parallels to our modern world. So I feel like we can now, I feel like we can comfortably pivot into what this movie was really about. Yeah. Um, I'm going to go on a limb here and say it's about nuclear war.
0: I was thinking about it like the other day as I was trying to figure out what it was really about. And I think <clears throat> and so, with some movies it's just so much harder. And I think I'm starting to think that ma- with a movie where the premise is really beautifully executed, yeah, um, that's when they successfully what the movie's really about is successfully it. But then I have then I counter that with the wave, which we were like it's about Mother Nature's avenging nature and yeah. But but yeah, I just on this one I genuinely couldn't go anywhere else except that this is very clearly what it's about. They the
1: text is the subtext. Yep. Yep. That's fair. That's fair. Jordan, are you going to make it about uh, capitalism again? I'm going to return to, I think, a familiar stomping ground on this one, but I'm going to say that because of, I mean, obviously it's about having people in positions of power who consider everybody's humanity, Yeah. that being um, an essential reality, regardless of the prescribed ideology of the person, the best... Uh, the most effective leaders that we can trust consider everybody's humanity to be weighed in equal measure and therefore have their decisions guided by the fact that it will affect humans and not machines or people who they think are animals um, and be racist, asshole sons of bitches. Uh, but I will also say that it is like a, it like was, it was, had a presaged the arrival of Silicon Valley. Uh, oh. Which I I see as one of uh you know our great evils in this world uh which does so much good and so much horseshit and uh hey, at the same time he's he might Elon Musk might eventually make some ventilators yeah he, he might that that next thing on Twitter that he says he's gonna do he'll do yeah. um I it is I, I think it is very heavily about the recklessness of everybody to a race to race to optimization and efficiency without considering the human element and human cost and i would you know i feel like in a sort of grand sense this movie is about like the terrors of optimization our current leadership wishes to optimize the capitalist system above anything else and cater to private sectors that make a shit ton of money and the private sector should solve our problems and the government should only exist to, I guess, enforce select laws and make it easier for those corporations to function in an unfettered way, regardless of like at the expense of humans and, and humans and the environment. And so I think and that optimization is so much embodied by Silicon Valley and their recklessness to speed toward the, the future without considering the implications of what the humanity of the future actually humanity the implications within the humanity part of that future and not just like the highly functioning system where everybody's connected in a you know the social graph as it were on facebook um but in the, like we interconnected all of our systems so much in the movie failsafe that when one thing went wrong the entire system came collapsing down it superseded human control and sent us into nuclear catastrophe so I am going to, once again, use my soapbox to say, fuck the recklessness of Silicon Valley, and this movie gave me those decades earlier versions of that fear. I I think
0: it's a great great rant, and I fully agree.
1: Imagine how terrified anybody in this movie who said, we're moving too fast, it's moving too fast, would be if they could look into the crystal ball and saw what the shit happening is today. Yeah, if they could find out about like, yeah, if they if they knew about the way that like
0: companies are data scraping photographs off of (laughs) Facebook and off of Facebook and Instagram in order to create like facial recognition software that they're then selling to the highest bidder, which is the thing, it exists and it was yeah like it was just covered on NPR. There's a company doing it and they're like we aren't going to sell it to bad people. And then the NPR guy was like how can you really guarantee that? And they were like we're just not gonna sell it to bad people yeah. like, oh we're all gonna die
1: yeah um know, the, the senator fig the senator character early on when he's touring that mm-hmm. facility is talking yeah. to them about like well you have all this information like i'm not I like i i'm not really comfortable with the fact that like if i take off my hat outside this thing can see how fast i'm losing my hair like yeah. it even it touches on those privacy concerns it touches upon yeah. the surveillance state yeah no you're you're absolutely this predicted
0: this 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 really warned against the surveillance state fifty years before it became a thing. Sydney Lumet,
1: you really you yeah. really shepherded a great work in here.
0: It is a great movie.
1: It really is good one it good one to watch in these times, guys. The writer the writers Walter Bernstein based on the novel by Eugene Burdick, Harvey Wheeler from the novel by oh from the novel by Harvey Wheeler as well. So there you go, writers. Yeah, great job.
0: It is really good.
1: So does that. Um,
0: yeah, it's going to fantasy casting, fantasy I guess. Fantasy casting. You kick it yeah. off. All right, so there were a lot of military guys that I was just like that's too many for me to keep track of. It's a lot. Um, yeah. It's a lot of military guys. So just assume for some of the military guys I'm mixing in like notable actors and actresses, potentially like some cool actresses of color that <laughs> would be interesting. I don't know. I wasn't going to do that work. Um I was just going to find the 3 for who like who I really cared about which was the president Buck and then uh, the professor. Mm -hmm. So I am replacing the president because who would you want to hear in an emergency tell you that they're going to end up dropping a bomb on New York? I would like it to be Morgan Freeman. That is completely fair. If the world is going to end, I want that to come from Morgan Freeman. That's just a fact. Um, (laughs) For Buck, who is the translator, who um, provides, who is, he's really sweet and he's very earnest. Yes. And he, like, is trying very hard to to do the right thing. And one of the big jobs that he has is that he has to tell President Henry Fonda not just what the prime minister is saying or the premier is saying, but then also yes. what his tone is. And, like, I need you to convey to me the nuances of his message because how he's saying it is as important as what he's saying, which I thought was a really great detail to include. Yeah, me um, too. Yeah, I really liked that aspect. But So for that, I was like Tom Holland, obviously.
2: Because you need someone like
0: that is good, gawky that is good. and sweet and earnest, and who's gonna look a little overwhelmed, but also who you implicitly trust. And like, why wouldn't you trust Spider Man? Yeah. Um, and he'll, he'll look like he'll look sufficiently out of his depth while also seeming competent. <laughs> and then for a uh, human Twitter feed, Walter Mathau's character, smarmy, knowledgeable, weirdly sexy, you gotta go Adam Driver. <laughs> oh, that's
1: good. Right, that like Adam Driver is
0: really leaning into his shit bag, sort of like, oh, I know more than you. And I happen to be more knowledgeable. And oh, you even consider the fact that maybe 600 million people dying is worse than 60 million? I mean, that's Kylo on you.
1: I mean you're yeah. talking about little Red. Yeah.
0: Um, like, that's just so, so Adam Driver playing sort of the Walter Matthau character, playing the bad guy. I almost had Annette Benning as the president.
1: I, um, she's so Annette Bening was floating in my head she's so easy to start thinking of for th- for yeah. this movie yeah she she's just like she can look so stoic
0: but she and Adam Driver were just in uh the report together and I was like nah, I don't know if I want to reunite them so fast no I think that's a very good point yeah. yeah so and also again I just really want Morgan Freeman Ooh, or if you're gonna go like really bland casting obviously Kevin Costner <laughs> that's, like, yeah, in that, the, that's like when neutral, kevin costner remakes this movie yeah that's when kevin costner right? remakes like he's this write and movie and casts this, himself right? in it yeah exactly <laughs> and then he will be that would be he would be the president so that's just what it is um just well, there, like how he solved ben racism in, sort of, in hidden uh, figures
2: have a real ben affleck sort of role on it like yeah i'm gonna bring this back i'm gonna write it i'm gonna direct it i'm gonna like adapt <laughs> it for a new audience it'll be mm-hmm. so prescient it'll it'll really relate to today's topics and uh me kevin costner i am the man to do it
1: yeah <laughs> me, kevin costner. me yeah, kevin costner he'll say
2: it that way in the press release <clears throat> uh,
0: so that's my fantasy casting and then yeah like i just the, the general's like i uh, I'll throw some women in there because I like that more. Women, it should have more people of color. Like, mix it up, I, whatever. I don't know. Yeah, 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 I, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's why i have casting directors.
1: But the three that I really wanted to hit with those three. That's why. What, what I about have you, casting directors? Um, you know, I'm gonna make Buck translator. Buck gonna be Kelvin Harrison Jr. Uh, who was just oh so good in the movie Loose from last year. Uh, he's a chameleon, that young man, and I think uh he would have the gentle erudite demeanor that would work very well in this situation. I am going to inspired by the movie, the girl with all the gifts I am going to make uh, a whole Walter Matthau professor Glenn close. I'm going to be Glenn close. Yeah. And she's going to be very severe and frightening. Uh, like playing like her damages character. Yeah, like that kind yeah. of cold driving intensity. Nice. And who do I'm kind of I, I'm I'm at odds with myself over who I want to have as the president because like my brain just keeps telling me Morgan Freeman and that's not a bad decision. Nice. But you know. We know, and you've already done it. You you got there first.
0: Morgan Freeman's never a bad choice, and you can always double up on Morgan Freeman.
1: You know, I just I just saw him in a great bad guy role watching Species Two uh, the other night, and so I'm gonna go actually with James Cromwell as the Ooh. president. Okay, because he can be so frightening and so sort of he's like nine feet tall and he's just such an imposing um intimidating presence when he's he plays a bad a bad figure which he's so good at but i sort of want his i want that age to kind of go toe to toe with glenn close i want i want their tension um so yeah i'm gonna go i'm gonna go with james cromwell in the role of the president nice okay and i think he, like- he's very
0: i i he was the grandfather or or the father i can't remember what of a girl that I was at school with and i accidentally once spoke ill of her in front of him oh. and yeah and i can tell you that he's a very imposing man <laughs> um, <laughs> oh my god i would even even when your only frame of reference for him is kindly farmer from babe <laughs> very imposing man <laughs>
1: And oh, I mean, yeah, he's he's great at being a complete son of a bitch. Yeah, as we know from film and television, I like I him in American Horror Story, um, Asylum is just one of the great TV villains I feel of the 21st century. So yeah, I would suddenly be terrified to watch that chill pass over the very long face of James Cromwell. Mm hmm. <laughs> So Amanda, what? How many stars are you? How many um, towering as- infernos? Uh, towering infernos? Well,
0: Jordan, I'm, I'm. You know what? I'm, I'm unloading the payload on the towering infernos. <laughs> how can you not give this movie five stars? Five no, infernos? I, like how I, can you not? Yeah, like that's it, yeah, that's just like it, you have to give it five infernos because it's a, it is a classically perfect movie. It is, yeah. it is intense. It is taut. You feel every minute of it. It's
1: fantastic. <laughs> I love that this whole thing has happened, mind you, friends and 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 listeners with Amanda's uh, cat ear sweatshirt on her head.
0: Yeah, yeah. This is this this is my sweatshirt. This is my home sweatshirt now.
1: <laughs> it is great. So I just want to show you.
0: It has a pouch theoretically for you to oh, put there's, animals there's inside like a of. Joey which pouch? There's like a Joey pouch. A friend gave me this sweatshirt. She had an extra one. And um, the, pou- the Joey pouch is not used for pe- for, for animals, but I do p- take it inside out and then wrap my hands in it like it's a muffler <laughs> with a hood Look with a cat. cat ears up.
1: I, I hope we're all feeling, I hope we're all living our best cozy lives because is, we should all be housebound, ladies and gentlemen. We're, we're all
0: super cozy and housebound now, guys. We're all basically, this is our truest
1: selves. And January Jones is making human stew bath. Human stew. Guys, okay,
0: guys, (laughs) let me explain something really fast. So you know how when you pour a bunch of baking soda in a bath and then you pour a whole bunch of apple cider vinegar in a bath and you're like, I'm going to get into this bath and it's going to do magical things to me. And all you've done is you've just wasted a bunch of baking soda and a (laughs) bunch of apple cider vinegar because all those (laughs) bubbles it made, all the foam is the two of them neutralizing each other. It no longer has any (laughs) acidic or non-acidic properties. They have reacted so fully. The two things have reacted so fully together that now it doesn't do anything. Whatever pH balance you were hoping to get from the apple cider vinegar, whatever magic, I don't know, whatever you were hoping to get from your baking soda, you're not doing either of those things. You're just going to fuck up your plumbing. (laughs) That is a little chemistry for you.
1: There you go. I so be wary, I, I, be wary of the human stew bath. Just January, so January Jones, Jones prescribed human stew bath.
0: Yeah. January Jones, I'm happy you're making yourself a human stew bath, but all you're doing is
1: making yourself smell like apple cider vinegar.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> I guess this would be a good time to segue into what are we watching next week? Don't worry, ah! guys. I didn't pick it, so it's going to be more fun. <laughs> this is uh, one I've been looking forward to sharing with the podcast because it, when I
0: watched it at the time, was not good. Um, this <laughs> is the made-for-television movie, The Black Hole. The Black Hole. Hell yeah. The Dark. Black Hole. Christy Swanson and who? Uh, Judd Nelson. Uh, Judd Nelson. Oh, Judd. Yeah, Judd Nelson, like, from the, yeah, from from The Breakfast Club, Judd Nelson. From um, Black. Yeah. It's a good one. It is, wait, it is viewable on Vudu. It's free on Vudu and Tubi. So it's free on both of them. Um, if you guys don't, that way you guys don't have to pay for a change. Um, here's the log line. No force from this world can stop it.
1: <laughs>
2: okay. Perfect.
0: It's 2am in St. Louis. It's 2am in St. Louis when a routine scientific experiment goes terribly wrong and an explosion shakes the city. A scientific team investigates clashing with an intergalactic, voltage-devouring creature that vaporizes them. Yes. Okay. good. So Judge Nelson has to stop an electricity monster and a black hole, and it's set in St. Louis, which is a completely different change of pace for us. I'm
1: very excited about that. Beautiful. Yeah. No. We're gonna pep. We're gonna pep it up in our next quarantine edition. Yeah. Because we will still be quarantined here in California. Yeah, yes, no, we we're will. this is this is we're in lockdown for a month, guys.
0: So we're not locked down, sorry, the mayor doesn't want us to use that term. We're in <laughs> uh, safer at home is the yeah. a, is a family-friendly term for a month. Wow. So uh was that the was, decree? Is it a month? Yeah. In in California or in um LA County at least, it's gonna be till April nineteenth, possibly longer. Okay, let's do it. Yeah. Um. So I get now why like in I always when I would watch those sci-fi movies, I'd be like Why is that astronaut just running through the hallways all the time, like that? You know, like (laughs) like, you always like there's that that steady cam shot of like an astronaut running for exercise through the hallways. And I was like, I don't get it. If I were in space, I'd never exercise. I have gone for a run and or an additional extended walk every single day for the past five days. And like I get it now. (laughs) I get why. I get why if you're stuck on a spaceship, like I would also be doing constant laps through the rotating space station. Yep. Because, yeah, just need to do something to feel alive.
1: So take care of yourselves out there, disaster divas. Wash your hands. Don't, Don't touch, touch your, face your face. Public. Come back, wash your hands. Then you can touch your face in the privacy of your own home. And wipe down been, your cell phone with an alcohol wipe. If you've been ordered to shelter in place, then fucking shelter in place. <laughs> and stop buying all the toilet paper. And the baby
0: wipes. We have friends who can't find yes. fucking baby wipes for their baby who is an actual baby, but stop buying them for your adult butts. Yep. Yes, it's true. Please don't. Just get, Please bidets don't.
2: Wait, Just get uh, the days. Yeah. And wait a few weeks for the them to bidets. arrive. Um,
0: so does that, uh, does that take
2: us to do our... Do we have any... Uh, so we, we don't have any new reviews, but we uh, have been getting a steady stream of uh, ratings. So we're now up to 30 ratings on iTunes, which is uh, absolutely hey! wonderful. We've got an average of four and thank a half you, stars. Friend. So thank you all for that um as All a reminder right. if gonna, yeah they're 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 really coming out for us um but as a reminder when you go to leave that uh rating give us a give us a nice little comment or you know any, any anything that's on your mind especially in these times of quarantine you can use it as your uh you know personal little yell into the void yes. uh zone to express some yeah, frustration yeah um, but uh, yeah, always leave those comments. And then I did really quick want to shout out um, the newest fem- member of our uh, little podcast productions family, uh, Best Pictures Podcast. Um, they have been uh, oh, okay. fixing—they've been fixing the Oscars one year at a time, um, and trying to sort of reorder <laughs> and assign uh, the award for Best Picture uh, as they see fit. So check them out; they're on every uh, podcast site. The nice.
1: All right, All right, so Jordan um now that we're just stuck at home all the time where can we find you on social media you can find me at jork crew j-o-r-c-r-u i yeah. am
0: amanda r Tubbs. that's uh Tubbs with two b's jason
2: jason half tones on everything but i'm not that active on it right now because i'm trying to be at least a little productive during this time of uh, uh isolation
0: <laughs> really, i know i noticed that you were locked, and i was very like concerned for your well-being
2: <laughs> yeah no just uh just uh you know taking taking time off the socials is all okay
1: it's, fair. self-care is important but yeah. if you want to find us if we're at disaster underscore pod correct yes we are disaster underscore pod we are disaster girls
0: pod at gmail.com and we're disaster girls on uh letterbox which is still a thing i'm learning um <laughs> you guys, please, like I like we've said before, please rate and review. Please share us. Uh, please interact with us on Twitter. Um, if you're bored, this was something I did when I was bored at work one day, and I made a, uh, a March Madness bracket for all of our disaster movies that we've covered up through San Andreas. Mm. So go ahead and fill yours in if you'd like. I don't know that I'm actually going to run polls and stuff because I don't think <laughs> that we have enough people who engage with our... I was like, there's no way I'm going to do that because no one engages with our Twitter feed. But if you want to start then Hey-oh. I will do polls.
2: Yeah, I think also th- that. this is a good time. I mean, like if you, if you have friends who are kind of suffering from isolation and wanting something to do, yeah. like, you know, watching disaster movies and uh, then listening to podcasts about them is certainly uh, not the worst thing you could be doing during self-isolation. So if you got any friends looking for not. stuff to do, make sure you give them the rec. Yep.
1: Yeah. Join us. We're just, we're just oh, going to get, we're going to keep being silly with it. So come on. <laughs> oh, have
0: a, yeah. Yeah. No, the next will week WI. will be a lot sillier than this week. Where we're we're dealing with our the stark reality of our brave new world. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So well, thank I you, thank you for tuning in, everybody. Yet human.
2: All right, everybody. Good
0: night, guys. Thank you. Bye, Bye buddy. Can't, no. Bye. Can't-
2: Might be cool.com. You never know.